0: good afternoon friends and welcome to the first edition of authors afternoons with an author of the year 2022 as you are aware as most of our uh, as most of our listeners are aware uh, this edition uh, of afternoons with an author started in august 2020 and has run regularly except for the months of november and december when we take a little break from the Wow main festival that is held in November every year. And we've covered 16 episodes so far. So I would urge you to take a look at our website for our previous episodes. This time, uh, this edition is being brought to you with technical collaboration of Technopark, which is going to be partnering us in our outreach as well as our technical support. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'd also like to acknowledge the fact that the National Digital Library of India is our partner, and it's being relayed to all the NDLI clubs in the country. Thank you, Professor Chakravarti, for this. Uh, So for this edition, we are having Somi Roy's uh, book, Latest Offering, because he has many offerings. So his latest offering is Manipuri Myths Retold, and that is why. In fact, it is, and that is why, Manipuri Myths Retold. Uh, Mr. Roy needs no introduction to listeners of VOW because he was a featured author last year. His book, his, his mother's, the book of his mother's translation, uh, Binodini Deviji's uh, historical novel, The Princess and the Political Agent, was shortlisted last year. Uh, an alumnus of St. Stephen and JNU, Mr. Roy is professionally a cultural conservationist and a curator who writes on films, culture, and polo for publications both in India and the US. Uh, Roy is the founder of Imasi the Maharaj Kumari Binodini Devi Foundation in Manipur. We're delighted, Somi, that you are with us. We look forward to a great conversation. Thank you. Our lead discussant is also a wow author. Uh, in fact, we discussed a book, tippets with my eyes closed, in the 2019 edition, which was held in Dehradun. In fact, that was the last physical uh, edition that we've had. After that, it's all been digital. Uh, Madhu is, uh, has grown up in Dehradun, studied in the Cambrian Hall and started a career as a journalist and has worked with Oxfam, Unifam, BBC World Service Trust. And the first book, The Keeper of Memories, was a historical fiction work on the Gurkhas. So what we're going to do now is uh, that I'm going to be requesting Somi to introduce the book for the first five to seven minutes. The book has got some lovely illustrations and we would have loved to have the illustrator uh, Safa Yumnam with us, but he's recovering from Omicron. But you will get to see some illustrations. Uh, Madhu will then take over and discuss uh, various stories, the twelve stories, which are here, and also give us a little background about Manipur uh, and uh, all those of us, all those, all my friends who joined us on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, after Madhu has spoken, we will still have time, but 15 minutes uh, to discuss your questions, to respond to your queries. So thank you very much for joining us. Over to you, Somi.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Sanjeev. And thank you, Valley of Words. Uh, tremendous pleasure to be back again with you. And um, what can I say? It's been wonderful uh, working with uh, you guys, including Madhu, Gurung. I'm so delighted to have met you over the phone. We've had some amazing conversations over the last couple of days. And thank you, Rutik, for helping out. And of course, Tanya in the background, who's been instrumental in making everything happen. So um, the um, today, uh, Valley of Words in, uh, has asked me to uh, uh, talk about uh, a book that came out last year from Penguin Random House India from the Puffins uh, Young Adults Division. Um, so it's a great privilege to be able to talk about this. Um, it is a book um, for young adults that is based on uh, Manipuri Mythology. And uh, it is retold for kids, uh, as I like to say, kids from the age of eight to eighty. And um, it is uh, drawn from several sources that I can talk more about uh, in our, my interaction with uh, Madhu and Sanjeev. Um, the book is uh, illustrated by Safa Yamnam, a young Manipuri artist. And uh, the illustrations, I agree, Sanjeev, are quite delightful. Uh, I was This is probably one of the highlights of my collaboration uh, with Penguin and with uh, Sapa on this book, uh, the illustrations that we have. The uh, Manipur, as you know, um, in the northeast of India, um, has a, a fascinatingly rich culture, which even I am beginning to just in the process of discovering myself. Um, And one of which is it has a manuscript tradition, a very small one compared to, say, Arabic or Sanskrit. Um, But it is um, one that I came across uh, maybe in uh, 2005 or so when I started visiting India again. And um, I was fascinated by the manuscript tradition. And um, so I came across a lot of um, uh, manuscripts uh, on uh, mythology and um, religious practice and statecraft and history and genealogies and so on. So um, when I started uh, working on this book, and Madhu and I, we can talk more about that, um, I, I was working on several projects. One of which was that I felt that the Um, Manuscripts were in danger, especially after we had an appalling um, incident in 2005, which really what what kind of fired me, and that was the burning of the Manipur State Library. A lot of manuscripts and books were lost, uh, and uh, archaeological artifacts as well. And so uh, I started working uh, on the digitization of these manuscripts, in collaboration with the University of Kentucky and with the British Library. And it's been a long, strange, circuitous uh, route that I've been taking. Uh, But the happy result, um, the latest happy result is uh, this book, because the uh, stories that I am telling here, which come from a digitization project, as well as my Polo project, for instance, um, they all seem to kind of uh, have their roots in the uh, manuscripts tradition. And the manuscripts are not accessible to me. They are written in a different language of Manipuri, which is old Manipuri. It's quite quite a bit like Chaucerian Middle English or, or, uh, or uh, in its relationship to modern contemporary Manipuri. And uh, it, it is also written in a script called Maite Mayik, which is one of the uh, few handful, less than 10, uh, Tibeto-Burman indigenous scripts that exist. So uh, of the Tibeto-Burman language family uh, to which Madhu's uh, native tongue and mind belong to, uh, there are about 400 languages, but about less than 10 scripts. So the uh, manuscripts are written in this old script and, and, and in an old tradition, uh, old uh, language. So it's been a, 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 quite a journey uh, from trying to digitize it in collaboration with the United States and with the uh, United Kingdom uh, and also um, working on polo and working on uh, with uh, certain collaborators and projects on silk, things that I was beginning to discover uh, in Manipur um, upon my return. Like this Sochcast, tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.
0: Great, absolutely. Okay. You can take Don't it up sense with sense Madhu. story
1: about
0: silkworms as well, uh, but let me not get between you and Madhu. So over to you, Mathu, and uh, we have a conversation for about half an hour, and then we'll open it up to, to, to whoever is there on the YouTube and Facebook. Over to you, Mathu. OK,
2: okay. thank you. Uh, I'm really delighted to be here, and especially to talk about Somi's work. Um, I've had the opportunity uh, of having lived in Manipur in a beautiful place called lemakong uh, which translated, um, and correct me, Somi, if I'm wrong, Uh, Limakong means the the river where the princesses come to bathe. And so I lived there um, when my husband, uh, who was in the army, was posted there. But I think for those people who don't know much about Manipur, before I do come on to uh, talking about Somi's book, I do want to talk a little bit about Manipur. If you come to Manipur and you actually entered the airspace and you're coming down to Imphal Airport, the first thing that you actually see uh, is a river body, you know, and that's the Loktak Lake. And those round vegetation that is around rings, that is the fundies. And that is how for me is Manipur. Uh, but Manipur has huge history and huge, uh, you know, uh, wonderful uh, Uh, things to talk about. I think one of the things that have left lasting impressions on me has been the Korangi airstrip, which was built by the Japanese uh, to help their war effort. There is, uh, it was in Manipur, we have the Kangla Fort. Uh, Manipur also has uh, 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 was a place where uh, the uh, the British Field Marshal Slim got his 14th Army together and that is that. That 14th Army marched into Burma, and you know that is how the the war with Japan ended, and turned the tide of war for the British forces. Uh, more than that, uh, I also remember that uh, uh, Manipur is the place uh, where the Indian National Army started. That uh, was started by Subhash Chandra Bose in a place called. Vishnupur, which is now called Bishanpur, and so um, and of course it is here that cricket, uh, like mm-hmm. hockey on horseback started and uh, polo. Uh, the world got polo from here. But I think um, when I do invite Somi to talk, I think I want to talk instinctively about what Somi's book uh, felt like when I read it. I, th- I think um, For me, Somi, uh, when I read your book, it was as if there was a a person who was on a quest. I didn't know anything about your background, too much of it. Uh, I felt that it was as if you had come in and you were like an archaeologist and you were digging, digging, (laughs) digging, digging, digging. And you found so many gems, so many beautiful things. And then, in a way, you became its memory keeper. And as a memory keeper, that... Uh, That is what you felt that, okay, now when I reach this point, how am I going to give it to the world? How am I going to get it? uh, How am I going to preserve it? And that is how you became a storyteller and a writer. I don't know. I may be all wrong and all over the place, but an archaeologist, a memory keeper and a writer. I invite you, Somi, tell me whether I'm right or wrong, but let's just take it from here.
1: Thank you, Madhu. That was a very nice introduction to Manipur. And having had your firsthand experiences here, uh, you have a special uh, connection to me and to my people and to my state. Yeah. Um, so it's really de- delightful to be with you. Um, archaeologist. You know, <laughs> I've never been called that. Um, I've been called a lot of things. And uh, which is one of the things I actually enjoy because I do these uh, projects somewhat organically. Um, they kind of develop along the way. I specialize in cross-cultural connections in my museum exhibits in the US and New York. Um, I work with Asian cultures and I have worked with many, of them, more than a dozen of them. And um, so working with my own culture, with Manipuri culture, is of course a special thing and um, um, as we do in curating uh, we kind of we are part historians we are part um, you know, we uh, we look at the sociology, we look at the art forms, we look at aesthetics forms and systems and so on. And yes, it's a bit like an archaeology, especially in Manipur, because Manipur has been traditionally and until very, very, very recently, uh, fairly isolated and insular. And it is tucked away in a corner, uh, even though it used to be the center of its own civilization for all of its history. For the last uh 75 years for the last 100 years or so uh after the british uh, took over manipur in 1891 we've become part of something larger but until then we've actually been fairly insular and fairly discreet in itself with its own worldview. and it's the worldview that i'm discovering um yes it's archaeology it's like discovering a palimpsest of experiences and expressions Layers after layers and layers. And how do these layers connect to each other? Some layers are personal, because I'm from here. Some layers are familial, because my family is from here. Some are cultural. Uh, some are simply baffling. I don't know where some of these connections are going to be. It's not a road that has, has been finished traveling upon. Uh, we have to keep looking at these things. But I was coming to look and making connections from, first, my introduction to manuscripts by this amazing older gentleman who's now unfortunately passed away, Pandit Kail Chandra, to whom I dedicate this book, and is an old family friend. And uh, his family is still friends with me. We're very, very close. And I learned about the manuscript from him. He's the first one who told me about the Polo god, uh, what, what, we call the polo god now, uh, some of the for instance. So it's been through conversations and interactions that I've been able to kind of um, dig deeper and deeper, maybe uh, um, uncovering layers and layers and scattering them around me and then making connections. Other people have sometimes said that what I do, my my projects, like I worked in Appalachia, and I work with uh, uh, China, and I work with Israel, and so on. Um, that it's more like uh, uh, what it, what they call remapping. We're connecting uh, dots. Matthew, uh, remember the when we were kids? Maybe if they still have them. You know those yeah. uh, dot uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, puzzles. And an image. Yeah. One, two, three, four, and then it yeah. becomes a rabbit, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me, a colleague of mine was telling me that what I was doing was uh, making a new uh, connecting one to five and five to nine and nine to 11 and 11 to two and creating an elephant instead of a um, yeah. rabbit. You know, And where I was coming from is that since I was working with culture, and this is why um, I'm a cultural conservationist, my projects are all about cultural conservation, um, I'm very interested in small cultures. I'm very interested in regional cultures. Uh, and especially in this day of globalization, uh, what's going to happen to the languages of these places? What's going to happen to the uh, memory keepers, as you say, of these places? What's going to happen to the memories of these places? Where are the narratives? Have they been, uh, I mean, for one thing, they've already been somewhat submerged. So we're building these new narratives like in this book. but. When will these narratives disappear? Many civilizations have come and gone. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. And now, in the age of internet technology and digital technology and communication, what do we have? We have smartphones, we have connections, we have romanization, we have people texting to each other. Um, People have great, greater social mobility and uh, uh, geographical mobility than ever before. Um, So a world uh, homogeneity is beginning to come. But I'll tell you this one thing, and that is of all the places that I've been to, that I've visited, uh, Manipur is the one culture that seems to have kept it intact. Oh, we complain here on, oh, this is lost and this is being degraded and that's in decline. But compared to, all the cultures of the world that I've had uh, the good fortune of interacting with and and working with, I find that a lot of the forms are still pristine. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're living. Uh, It has a high culture. It's a civilization. And I use this word advisedly. It's a civilization. Um, um, And it's a culture that is a civilization. And it's a very small one also, which is kind of the interesting thing about it. I like to think of it as like a dollhouse. Like a a mini, mini, miniature dollhouse that has all the little parts. It has a door, it has windows. If you look inside the window, you see a little bed. You know, in the beds, you have a little doll. Uh, So it has all the different parts of a, a civilization, yet it is very small. So, how did this happen? One of these parts is mythology. And this is what I discovered that with nursery rhymes, with folk retellings around the family hearth, uh with books and people here they publish uh, about maybe about six or seven books a month here in manipur there is no uh, publication house really so they're all self-published uh i'm in the process of publishing i have my own IMASI publications for the IMASI foundation i'm in the process of putting out a book this coming next sunday yeah so um we put out these books and so it is a language with a high resource uh, it's called high-resource language, it's complex. And uh, one of the complexities is the different languages and the different traditions. And these uh, manuscripts are coming from the pre-Hindu tradition of Manipur. Because Manipuris, like myself, Maiteis, as we are called. Our endonym is Maitei. Um, we are Vaishnav-Hindus. And we turned to Vaishnavism about 300 years ago. But before that, there was another religion, an older religion, that was animistic and based on ancestor worship. A lot of the uh, characters in these books are ancestors. Ancestors that figure out, figure in historical terms. Uh, ancestors that are deified and have become gods, for instance. Um, so these are some of these layers that we that I'm uncovering. But I'm also, not sca- I'm also not discarding them. I'm kind of scattering them around and trying to make a connection. And the connection with... Penguin, the connection with Sapa, the connection with my collaborators and sources and people who have helped me on the book, like Mangansana, the oral balladier for the oral sources, Ahim Chandra, the archivist for the actual manuscripts. He has an amazing collection of illustrated manuscripts we can talk about later. Um, and um, Tawyangba. Who also published a little little, tiny, charming collection of books? I think it it was retailing for 20 rupees on the market when he uh, published it It with little, funky little drawings. And uh, so we have published sources, we have manuscripts, we have oral traditions, and we also have our own memories of what, how we heard these stories before. So building this narrative uh, in collaboration with an international publishing house, with storytellers and singers and archivists and scholars and writers uh, has been uh, tremendous. I mean, just working with uh, the three or four editors at Penguin has made me rethink these stories over and over again. The questions they ask, what is this art form? It didn't have a name, so I named it for instance, you know, so we kind of rise to the occasion of storytelling and narrative. But the end product, the target audience is the English language reader in India. And for them, uh, I needed to write a story that has a once upon a time to a happily ever after structure. So that fairy tale kind of structure brought me back to my own childhood, the fairy tales that I like to read, the children's stories that I came across that that found me huddled in corners reading book after book after book of what a rare rabbit, of Rudyard Kipling, of you know fairy tales from around the world, etc. And so it's been a a, it's partly a personal social a personal exploration as well. The archaeology is also a personal archaeology. It's also finding my place my meaning in Manipur after having been away for very long, Um, what is this culture that brought me up? Um, And where do I fit in? What is uh, happening over here? What can I do? What do I think needs to be done? Uh, And above all, what is interesting to me and what is fun?
2: Mm. Okay, Somi, you know, I I find that very interesting that you talk about mythology, you talk about uh, songs, themes and everything. Let's talk about, you know, somewhere down the line, you've been away for a very, very long time, I think almost 35 years, and you come back. So you come back with a lot of sensibilities of the West. You know, you come here, you're digging up your own roots, you're finding the quest is... Is, is just started it's going to be you know you'll find even more connections. But I think what would be interesting uh, for people to know is that you know those 35 years out and now and then all the there are a lot of cross connections you know cross connections and stories that you have read as a child you know as an English reader to, to the mythologies that and the manuscripts that you've now discovered. So what are the cross connections that you have come up, you know, legends, maybe stories, you know, somewhere down the line, everything connects. Everything is is the same and yet so very diverse and said very, very differently. So would you like to talk about that?
1: Uh, yes, certainly. I mean, one, one, once uh, perspective changes, uh, perspective on yourself, on the world around you, um, working collaborating opens one's eyes. You learn from experience and from what you do. and It's only from what you do that sometimes you begin to see what you're doing. Uh, sometimes you can just keep thinking. But as you know, Madhu, as a writer, once you start writing, then suddenly things come up. It becomes alive. It yeah. becomes a thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, I worked in cross-cultural uh, exhibitions for, for the Asia Society. That's where I started my career. We have an Asia Society branch in Bombay, by the way. Did you know oh, that? Okay. Asia, India. No, no. Um, yeah. So then I work. Uh, I'm basically a film curator um, uh, for exhibitions, and I do. I've done a few film festivals also. Um, but in all these things, it's always looking at another culture. It's looking at another artist, at, at another mode of expression. And um, I grew up in in a writer's home. The picture you see behind me, and I'm sitting in my office alcove here, um, is my mother, who wrote. This, this is a writer called Binodini. So I grew up with writing around me. And since uh, she had a very uh, a famous salon um, uh, called Rupragh that gathered artists, maybe 10 or 12 artists, every single evening after. So wow. I grew up surrounded by yeah. music and film and theater and writing and poems and dancers and actors and so on. So uh, so that was a very special training. I think that was basically my training as a curator, is being looking at the creative process. So those connections are important. But the the exposure that I had. To uh, to aspects of global culture and being and and trying to reinterpret that for American audience, right? So um, I was basically importing Asian culture into America for American audiences. So now, when I work with Manipur, what do I do? You know, mm-hmm. when I go to Shanghai to look at films, I went as an American, as a, I I went as a New Yorker, right? Now here mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm of the soil. I belong here. A yeah. lot of people kind of probably find me a little weird around here, but um, I cannot be the other. I cannot be looking mm-hmm. at Manipuri culture like you would, or if Sanjeev, mm-hmm. when it comes to Manipur, he will look at Manipuri culture in a particular way, which is also very, very valuable. You know, your introduction of mm-hmm. Manipur. Extremely interesting to me what struck you about this place, for instance. But I cannot be the other to myself. I cannot exoticize myself. Yeah. You know, I have this constant, it's almost like a constant uh, electricity going back and forth of ideas. They flow in both directions. You know, partly Mm -hmm. it's myself, partly it's the other. Uh, the, The trained I becomes the other, but the emotional I becomes the local. And the the connection of the mythology and mythology is an
2: extremely
1: wonderful tool for this because mythology is an aspect of religion. So it speaks to the philosophy of a people. And mythology is also composed of two different parts. Uh, One part is uh, universalistic, archetypal, that you can find in every mythology, which makes every mythology, whether it's Greek, or Sumerian, or uh, Marvel comics, for instance, with the currently mythology Mm -hmm. I think is happening, or Harry Potter, another mythology that's contemporary. Um, These things have a lot of universal archetypes. The wizard, Merlin, Mm -hmm. Professor Dumbledore. I mean, all the gods, all the pundits. I mean, you find these great sages in every mythology. They are higher than the king. They have magical powers. And so uh, we have these archetypes. And then we have some very, very specific um, characteristics of a mythology. You know, So Manipuri mythology is just one of India's mythologies. There's no such thing as an Indian mythology because there's no such thing as an Indian religion. There are several religions. Mm-hmm. So you have... Hindu mythology, which is wonderful, which also exists here, by the way, because of the uh, uh, coming of uh, Hinduism here. Yeah. So you have Hindu mythology, you have Buddhist mythology, and Islamic mythology. And then, oh, in this little corner, we have little mudipuri mythology. The <laughs> teeny little thing. You know? yeah. So, in a way, uh, as a cultural conservationist, one sees the need to conserve certain things. In order to conserve certain things, we have to figure out what to be conserved. In order to figure out what to be conserved, we have to say, what is beautiful? What is valuable? And to make the decisions about this is worth conserving and that is dross and probably left to itself is a decision that is an ongoing decision that's based on aesthetics and social values and ethics and philosophy and so on. Right. So each culture has those valuations to say this is important. This is beautiful. This is worth keeping. And this is oh, OK. We can, you know, it doesn't matter if it gets lost. All right. So um, so I was very pleased, for instance, that when I translated my mother's historical novel, um, The Princess and the Political Agent, it, it became uh, a penguin modern classic to be categorized as a penguin modern classic from the northeast of India, from Manipur, is very special. Now we are framing it. My projects are also about reframing and repurposing. And I've repurposed this, this myths mm-hmm. using both the universal and the uh, specific archetypes uh, to, uh, to frame this mythology for a different generation in Manipur, and they love it. The, the, the younger people love the stories. By the way, they, oh my grandmother told me the story, but she never told me the ending. Now I know the ending. You know, the, or oh no, my grandfather's version is slightly different, because all these mm-hmm. versions are different. And um, so the reframing of it, the remapping of it, and the archaeological dig, and to create a memory keeping, we've revived yeah. the book, a memory keeping by framing it for. New readers for new minds for new years, yeah. And and uh, and it's not limited to Manipur now because we're now yeah. uh, writing it in English for another yeah. readership altogether. So it's been quite interesting. <laughs> I've been having yeah. fun as you probably I can should.
2: tell. Yeah, uh, I think it's it has very global appeal. You know, that's one of the best things about the book. Uh, but, you know, like uh, you, when I talked about the cross connections, I also felt that there were some stories where you could immediately make connections with, oh, I've, I've heard a similar kind of a story somewhere like the cuckoo, uh, the pied cuckoo, or, uh, you know, like, uh, remember the two brothers, the sibling li- rivalry and all that? Would you like to yeah, talk about yeah, that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Very interesting. You brought that up, Mother. Thank you. Um I was in the process of writing the pied cuckoo uh, because I knew about the pied cuckoo from a nursery rhyme that goes "Nongobi, nongobi, sari, Laino ture, leinase." You ask anyone below the age of thirty-five over here, no one's heard this. It's gone out. So we've kind of revived that um, that nursery rhyme as well, but then. My mother also was a social activist, and she did a project called Nongobi, uh, the, the, the Pai Koku, because the story is about cleaning rivers. And there was so much trash in the river <laughs> next to our house <laughs> that she started a Nongobi arts project of engagement, arts engagement. Um, I'd also come across, because, you know, my coming back and changing my base to Manipur is really to preserve the work of Binodini, the writer. So okay. I'm in the process of looking at her unpublished work. I'm working on my third volume of collected unpublished work by Binodini. The uh, third one is supposed yeah. to come out in a week's time. I'm quite wow. I'm palpitating, you know. Quite excited. Also working. Um, the, but this is the third volume. I have maybe three, or more, three more to go. Um, and so she had written uh, an essay called Nongobi, Pied Cuckoo, which I discovered really? much later. Right. But the essential mm-hmm. story of the Pied the Koku, uh, has a certain parallel to Kalidas's uh, Megadut, in the sense that they're both ah. based on the Pait Koku. Yeah? So the okay. Pied Koku, elders and ancients also observed that the Pied Koku comes with the rains. And hmm. the monsoon is this amazing thing that happens every year in, in South Asia. And the cuckoo comes with the, with the clouds, with the rain clouds. Hmm. So if you see a pied cuckoo, people have always observed and remarked that, oh, the rains are going to come. You know? So in hmm. Kalidas' uh, uh, Megadut, he, he becomes the, yeah. a messenger that flies with the rain clouds. And he describes what he sees below on, in India with cities and palaces and rivers and mountains the wonders of india that is the the spine of this uh um, of this great poem um music. Yeah. but and in the Manipuri version of the Pitekoku, cuckoo it becomes a cautionary tale of why you should work together and you be must be part of a community so the the, the bird is asked to take part in community work and cleaning the rivers, and she yeah. refuses. So, so yeah. then, 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 then what, is the, what is the moral of the story? Because every fable has a moral, right? The 2 mm-hmm. brothers story uh, is a very common universal archetype, much more universal mm-hmm. than the cuckoo, which is basically a South Asian thing. You know, you find mm-hmm. the sibling rivalry, the two brothers, the younger brother getting the birthright, Uh, and the older brother getting very upset about this and angry. You find it in the Bible, the legend of mythology of Isaac and Esau. You find it in Ganesh and Kartik in India, in Hindu mythology. And then you find it in the story of Pakhanba and Sanamahi in Manipur. So um, that is one of those universal archetypes that I was telling you about. And there are certain resonances that, Makes you connect. Yeah. That makes your mind connect from one un- one part, making an unfamiliar connection to another part. Things that you're not thought before, but but yeah. also seems remarkably familiar. That you have heard yeah. this before. You know, this is real to yeah. me. So yeah. mythology has that character, and and that is why when you see Star Wars, yeah. the hero, the journey of the hero strikes you immediately. Mm-hmm. That's why the film is so popular. Because it follows the arc of the pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress or any hero of Achilles uh, or or Ulysses going to Troy. These are all uh, the journey of the hero combating personal demons and social problems and armies and death and so on and overcoming it and thereby becoming the hero. So. Yeah. these are archetypes of the hero and the siblings and so on, and, of, and specifically to South Asia, because the ornitholo- ornithol- ornithological oh, no. of the Pied Cuckoo is specific to South Asia, because the bird comes from Africa, flies across the Arabian Sea, which is not in the manuscripts. I googled it.
2: Oh, so Okay.
1: Yeah, I had to find out, like, where is this white cuckoo at? I, I looked up a picture of it. I listened to sounds of it. Um, then yeah. I then I find out the migratory uh, route that it takes, flying from Africa across the Arabian Sea, across India, and then goes via Manipur. And then mm-hmm. uh, it's very much an activist policy kind of bird, right? And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then it flies to through southern China. So let's call yes. it the act actist policy, act book. Is policy book. A, oh, a, okay
2: so,
1: much. <laughs> so are we frozen? No. I can't hear you, Mother. Are we on? Are we on? Ta 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 ta. Are we on? I could keep talking, but. Uh... Like this, Sochcast. Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.
0: Yeah. Okay. So while um, I mean, while we wait for Madhu to, to join us, you know, I think it's yeah. it's fascinating, and I I thought, why do not we talk about polo, the story of polo? You know, Ah. this is an Indian sport, and I think, you know, we must do, uh, I mean, we must try to get it into the Asian Games and then the Olympics. How is Manipuri polo different from the mainstream polo? You know, can you tell us something about this? And uh, you've done a lot to promote polo in Manipur. So, yeah, uh, also tell me what the story
1: Yeah, thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you for putting me on my hobby horse. I can talk endlessly on this subject. (laughs) Um, But polo also is a cultural conservation project that turned into polo, to international polo. Um, When I came back to Manipur, uh, I found that uh, our Manipuri ponies were roaming the streets eating trash, which was not there when I left in the early 80s. And so, where did these homeless street ponies come from? So, my mother was very upset. She was a she was a celebrated horsewoman, and my family are all polo players. And so, the uh, so I kind of got interest in this, but otherwise, I have, I have zero interest in polo. I have zero interest in animal welfare. I'm really not really much into any of that. But I discovered then through Pandit Kheer Chandra, that polo has a uh, sacred uh, um, uh, history to it for Manipur, and that and that there was a shrine uh, to uh, a god called Marjing, one of the directional guardians of the valley of Manipur, um, and that uh, god figures in all the polo mythology. So I started doing this, and then because I was not, I was spinning my wheels and not really getting anywhere. That I kind of roped in the polo community here, and since Manipur is very small and very poor and not very powerful in all these things, um, and suffering like from an all these taxes of uh, right. of old uh, of uh, underdeveloped economies and so on. Um, Things were not moving very much, so I kind of roped in. I talked to my friends at the United States Polo Association, and we brought in American Polo here. The USP, um, we brought the USP to India for the first time. I take Manipuri uh, International Polo. Uh, We introduce several things that we provide value-added services, as I call it. And then we take uh, American Polo and Manipuri Polo to, we've taken them so far to Jaipur, uh, another capital of Polo, the crown jewel of Indian Polo, really, and to Hyderabad and to Bombay. So it's a national program that is based on in, uh, in Manipur. And I like that to say that even little Manipur can contribute to the larger Indian uh, culture and uh, we have we contribute to our riches. Uh, it may not it may not be money, but it could be sporting talent and so on. And so now I have, with my partners, Ed Armstrong and Rupa Barua, Paul, Nabaroon, um, and so on, um, we have the uh, an annual international women's polo here. And um, the, the, then, I began, then I began to discover that actually polo was from here. Uh, and they were calling this the birthplace of polo. And I said, actually, no, it's the birthplace of modern polo. Because polo has many different uh, origins, Azerbaijan, and China and Tibet and India, and we, we, you know, people are still writing the history of polo. Um, but modern polo, as we know, it comes from nineteenth-century uh, 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 Manipur and taken from here by soldiers of the East India Company. Uh, it predates Victoria's reign here, and so. The the older polo, which is described in our manuscripts also, uh, uh, the first game is described as uh, as a game that was played at at the crowning uh, of the younger brother, Bakanba, that we were talking about. So in Bakanba, the deified ancestor becomes the king and establishes the Manipuri dynasty, which rules even today, um, a polo game was played. And that is written about in the manuscripts. And even Lord Marging, whom we've called the god of polo now, uh, because I felt it was important to uh, uh, to recognize his role in polo, uh, since uh, we obviously had lost the uh, importance of the sacredness of the animal by allowing it to be homeless and eating trash on the streets. So creating the, creating the uh, sacredness, recreating it, was my cultural conservation part of it which led to polo and polo by itself uh, in manipur was a game that uh, was similar is still similar to the modern game like uh, ev- any horse that plays polo is called a polo pony Whereas a pony is supposed to be more than 13 hands high, uh, that's because of the Manipuri pony. There are still the, the rule that says only you uh, can only hold a stick on the, in your right hand as a Manipuri rule, for instance. So many of the rules of Sabul Panjai, the original Manipuri game, exist in modern polo today. But modern polo has been taken from here by Britain to the rest of India and then to England and from England to, it hopped over the Great Pond to New York um, and to the US and went to Argentina, for instance. So the game has been developed more over there. And what I'm doing now is kind of importing back something that originated from here, but importing it back as, a, as an international sport over here. And I'm very proud to say that we have uh, three quarters of the women polo players in the country And we have about uh, one-third of the male polo players in the country. So this is a highly uh, polo-intensive place. And the remarkable thing about polo here is that unlike any other place in the world, it is not the game only of kings and princes and rich people. Now, it is a very great. egalitarian sports and we have villagers that play polo. And I myself am working on a rural polo project at this point.
0: Great. So we also need to design a Manipur polo cap, unlike the USPA. So, you know, I think um, <laughs> next time we see you on the Wow, we should have the Manipur polo cap. Yeah. Uh, I will.
1: Sorry. I promise well, you I will do that.
0: Yeah. yeah, okay, great. Madhu, we lost you in the middle. so Yeah,
2: I'm so sorry. Something happened yeah. uh, just- uh, some problem. Um, can I jump in now? Yeah,
0: please. Yeah. Last question, and then uh, we we'll open up to the audience.
2: Yes, Somi, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, I I enjoyed what you talked about the polo. Uh, may I just uh, talk about the beautiful illustrations of the book because I think not only wow. does it make the book so so charming, it's it's it makes each and every story immensely endearing. So if it's possible, uh, can we talk about the uh, subika, the, the new art form that you and your artist friend have come up with? Uh, let's talk about a little bit about that. Because also, I think uh, alongside uh, the very beautiful illustrations, there's also calligraphy, which is in, in a text which is so, so beautiful. So um, if you would like, to, if it's possible for it to come on the screen, if it no, if not, I would like you to speak about it a little bit before we open it up.
1: So, hey, Ritik, why don't you put the pictures up on the screen and we'll talk. I'm sure people are fed up of looking at our faces anyway by now. So. Okay, so um, I'm I'm really sorry that Sapa could not join us. He's not feeling well. Um, but uh, the uh, illustrations are a very important part of this book. And I had no idea where I was going with the illustrations. I had an idea that I wanted to use the illustrations that are found in the old manuscripts. Now, the illustrated manuscripts of Manipur are a very small minority of the manuscripts that exist. Only the manuscripts of magic and religion and ritual and prognostication and fortune-telling are illustrated. The bulk of the manuscripts of genealogies and state policy and irrigation and stories about the uh, spike cuckoo and all that, they're not illustrated. Mm -hmm. All the histories, the mythologies, the romance, the novels, the the others. So this group of um, manuscripts uh, is called Subika. Actually, there are two kinds as I learned along the way, uh, Subika and Kutlo. Uh, so there are these groups of manuscripts that are illustrated. And I was entranced by these drawings, very funky little, crazy little drawings. Um, and uh, so uh, when I was, uh, when I'd finished writing the book, I mean, i have been thinking about how to illustrate this. Now, the thing is that uh, my engagement with these, these stories actually starts from art, actually, because, you know, um, I was planning uh, an exhibition. Once I came across these manuscripts that enchanted me in uh, Bhavunkhil Chandra's collection, I was planning to do an art exhibition in Brooklyn and in Berlin with my friend Liv Mete Larsen, who's a Norwegian living in New York. And we were going to show manuscripts uh, alongside some modern paintings that Liv was going to be making, Um, She's an abstract painter just to use a loose word. Um, And um, uh, this was part of my expression of Digitize Manipur, which is my project to digitize the manuscripts of Manipur, which, by the way, Madhu Sanjeev was an utter failure. You know, still it was one one of the biggest failures of all my projects. I still haven't been able to do it properly. But along the way, I was kind of strategizing differently in different directions the art exhibition idea came up and we were planning it we found we had a Berlin, uh, 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 art gallery in Berlin and one in uh, Brooklyn in Bushwick so we were planning this and then I was then I came across I was doing a, a digital archiving workshop in New Delhi uh, with the oh, University of North in Texas and wow. then um, and then we have aha. Uh-huh, Shall we see the big one, Rithik? The the one oh, that is. There. We can start anywhere; it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and then so the uh, uh, when when I met Penguin there, and uh, oh, here it is. So yeah. this is. A, a, a
0: like this Sochcast,
1: tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.
0: I think we'll carry on with the conversation. It's, it's a bit... Uh, we've not been able to crack the code. So let's carry on with our conversation.
2: I think we've lost Somi. Somi?
0: Anyway, uh, uh, till Somi comes, let me say, let, let me add some some things about Manipuri history and about something which, which a lot of our readers may or may not know. But, uh, you know, that place called Mount Harriet, in Andaman and Nicobar Islands, that's now been named Mount Manipur in honour oh, yeah. of the Manipuri, uh, you know, revolutionaries. I mean, of course, they were called mutineers at that time, but revolutionaries who were launched okay. there in 1892. And earlier, one of some of the first people who were sent to Andaman and Nicobar Islands were those who were taken part in the Anglo-Manipur War, and therefore, finally, yeah. it is also a resurrection of history because finally we've been able to understand the real heroes of India's independence. So I think yeah. Manipur uh, was the third largest contingent of uh, people, of, of prisoners who were sent to Andaman and Nicobar Islands. The first, of course, were Bengalis, uh, second Punjabis, and third were Manipuris. Now look at it as a very small state in one corner of the country uh, is a major contributor to the freedom movement of the country at that point of time. So I think yeah. uh, Manipur, as uh, Sumi has brought out, it's... a uh, it's a unique. Uh, it's 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 an absolutely unique place because you know it's part of the of the of the Vaishnavite tradition. It's part of the Vishnupuri tradition, and it also retains the past before it became before it adopted Vaishnavism. So I think it's a it's a fantastic story about how India has evolved. It's a fantastic story about how Manipur has integrated itself. It's also a story of how India has learned so much from Manipur. It's also a story oh, yeah. of great valor, it's a story of great resistance, and therefore, I think there's a lot that we learn from this book. Uh, Madhu, my favorite stories have been two, two of my favorite stories. One has been about the silkworm tradition, and oh, the yeah, second I like the that too. Story. Yeah, uh, so which have been other than these two, which has been your favorite story in this book?
2: I quite like the pipe cuckoo because, uh, you know, it uh. It epitomized, uh, you know, the working for the community. I think the whole thing of putting it all together, you know, picking up mythology and uh, try and make it as interesting to the young reader is something has been, uh, that Somi has really excelled in. You know, he's been able to do that, to transcend that thing and also use all the, all the things, the sensibilities of the West that he's learned. And that comes across in those stories, you know, they're very, very nicely put, you know, like, uh, uh, dear confused one, you know, when he's addressing the kids, uh, dear not so good one, things like that. So, you know, it comes up in different, different paragraphs. So I thought that was really, really beautiful. And, uh, I think when we talk about art, especially when we, I mean, Somi would have been better person to speak about it. It just, um, it's not only uh, very, very unique, but it's so much stemmed in uh, the earth of Manipur. You know, it's got very earthy colors. It's got so much steeped in their uh, religion as well as mythology. And um, one of the things that I I saw in in one of the things that he had sent uh, was uh, a manuscript, you know, which was yes, there. Yes, and uh, that manuscript was something, uh, you know, when you looked at it very closely, you found how powerful that uh, thing was and that they've been able to translate and make it their own. Uh, you know, that's how Subika came about. I think that is really interesting. Um,
0: yes, be- I, I think there's a very valid point and, and because Somi is not here, so let me ask you a question. You see, you worked uh, with the with, with Nepali. You worked with Tibetans. Now you've had this book of tales from Manipur. You've been in Myanmar, yes. and as the as somebody who's been connected with the army, uh, what is the common thing that you find amongst all these stories? Especially if you were to look at stories from Nepal, stories from Tibet, stories from Myanmar, and stories from Manipur. So what what do you see? I mean, how do you see this tapestry panning out?
2: I think the entire landscape, if you were to look at it, I think you know something or the other is is similar. It's like you know the same tapestry is weaving itself. Uh, you know, like there is always magic, uh, and that is like keeps you hanging, like uh, almost like even in uh, the thing where the uh, the magician's uh, parrot has his soul. So to kill the magician or the wizard, you actually have to kill the parrot. You know, so things like that, and uh, some things like the snake, the magic, the the wizardry, uh, the courage, all that comes across. I think, Somi, finally, Somi, we are
1: I'm <laughs> sorry. You know, we've had power outage all afternoon, okay. and so my laptop went ran out of juice, and so did my other phones. So I'm logging in. Oh, I don't know, whatever.
0: I'm back. Great. So we, oh, uh, the, we, we carried on a little conversation now. So there's a question to you. The question yeah. is that: uh, is there a is there a second edition? Are you going to be telling more short stories like this? And is it is there a possibility of an audio book? So this is uh, some of the audience oh. questions. So, maybe you'd like to address oh. that. Audio book, what an idea!
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm going
0: to I'm
1: going to credit credit you with that, Sanjeev. If that <laughs> ever happens, I've never even it's thought really about, come about it. From the, it's come from the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Um, I am thinking of uh, writing a collection of folk stories, uh, because when I first started working on this book with Penguin, we went back and forth about these stories. They kept calling it folk tales, and I kept saying, "No, it's mythology." So that distinction seems to be important to me as a cultural conservationist, from the ang- from that angle, and the folk tales. That I'll be working. That I hope. I think I'll be working on. I mean, this year is my mother's centenary, so I'm kind of a little busy with many things. But um, the folk tales are more secular; they don't have a religious aspect. Uh, they're fun in its own different on the, in their own different way. But the uh, uh, the mythology, of course, is an aspect of religion, you know, of the previous religion, the pre-Hindu religion. So the folk tales are something that I'll probably be working on. I'm trying to um, get a co-writer to do some work for me and so we can work on it together. And the co-writer is a young mother besides being an IT professional because one of the problems that I have and had from the very beginning is that uh, I don't have any children and I've never had the experience of bringing up kids or telling them stories. I had to go to my own experience as a child, but as an adult, I've never had to tell a story bedtime stories to kids, for instance. So I really feel that's a lack, a big um, disadvantage um, in my uh, in my previous book. So if I do this, I'm hoping to work with a young mother who can bring her uh, experiences as a parent as, uh, as folk tales as part of parenting. Great, wonderful.
0: So you've had a wonderful session. Uh, Although we were in and out, but we were able to connect everyone, and I would like to thank you, Somi. Uh, Thank you very much for having been with us and for having shared your thoughts, for having told us the difference between folktales and mythology, for having taken us to the history of Polo. Thank you very much, Madhuji, for joining us. Your experience and the way you asked those questions made it very, very insightful, made it very, very interesting. And we do look forward to more such conversations. Uh, Before I close, let me thank all of us who joined, who joined us on the YouTube and the Facebook. Uh, Thank you very much, Tanya. Thank you, Ashutosh. Uh, Ashutosh Chah, who's coordinated with the NDLI, with Parmesh, Ritik, Amir, and Suhail, for ensuring that this conversation has been there, in spite of some minor glitches. Uh, And friends, before we close, let me tell you that next month, uh, we'll be featuring Pramod Kapoor's latest book on the Naval Ratings Mutiny of 1946. We'll keep you posted about that. So happy listening. Uh, more power to the pen. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Madhu. Thank you, Somi. Thank you. And thank you, Team thank you. Bao, for, for being for, for connecting with us. Thank you. thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Madhu. Thank you, Sanjeev. Thank, thank you.
0: So
2: Thank you, Sanjeev.
1: Yeah. And to all the team, thank you very much.